We're going to be moving through some amazing verses. What a chapter this is for us. I was thinking this past week about our world and the mess that it is. And uh, early in the summer, um, I read through the books of Joshua and Judges. And as I got to the end of the book of Judges, the final sentence, the final verse in chapter 21, the, it's, it's the final statement of the book of Judges. This is what it reads. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What a stinging indictment of that day. That after cycle after cycle, gift after gift, judge after judge, raised up by God to grace his people over and over and over. Hard hearts, rejection, rebellion, embrace of sin and darkness. I got to thinking about that last sentence. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then I began thinking, well, what is freedom? What does it mean to be free? We're set free from sin. But, but what is freedom for the Christian? Is it, is it we just do whatever we want? Is, is the freedom that we've been given by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ a freedom to just live however we feel? On any given day. The book of Judges would say absolutely not. That's not what Christian freedom is. That's slavery. That's slavery. I was thinking then about authority and submission. And oh, what an interesting display our culture, our world has on display right now. I, th I think about Afghanistan and the absolute upside down abuse of authority coming in to tread upon women, to push them down, to treat them the way that the Taliban has chosen to, to view and treat women. What is that? That's darkness and evil and sin. Thinking of Antifa and their casting off of all authority. Burn it down. Destroy the institutions. We want to do whatever we feel like, whenever we feel like it. Is that freedom? No, it's not freedom. The reality is, is that authority and submission have been with us from the beginning. We have a God who delights in authority and submission. He is a God who created out an echo of that in Genesis 1 and 2. You see it on display. The first marriage was an institution of God in which the, the husband was called to be the head of the home, the leader. Not to squash his wife or tread upon her, no. But in a beautiful gift to lead her and serve her and protect her and provide for her and to be the one who initiates in the home. This is God-blessed authority and submission. And if we wonder if it's real, then look at the very Gospel. The Father sends the Son. The Son submits His will to the Father. That is not corrupt or wrong. That's beautiful display of authority and submission. So I want to call us this morning to 
reject any notion that because of the horrific abuses of authority and submission that we see every day, that we may have experienced personally in our own lives, that does not mean that authority and submission are results of the fall to be completely thrown away. In fact, I would say this, the Christian life, the freedom that you have been given as a Christian is most defined by authority and submission. We're going to see that in these verses. God has given us amazing freedom, and it is the freedom to joyfully submit to Him, to embrace His best for our lives, to, to come before Him with bent knee and, and to bow and say, Your will be done. Not my will be done. So let's dig into these verses and, and clarify, as it were, what it looks like to be free as a Christian in Christ. We've come through the gospel. Romans 1 through 5 has, has laid out very clearly that we are saved, we are justified, we are declared righteous by God. This is His doing. But the implications for our lives, the effect that that has on us, is powerful. And so Romans 6 through 8 really builds that out. What does it mean now that we are free? What does it mean to be free in Christ? Free from sin and free for God. So freedom and submission, Romans 6. Let's uh, refresh our memories a bit since it was three weeks ago that we covered these verses. Paul says this, so you also must. Remember, we're talking about imperatives these are commands that he's given based upon what god has done now you christian also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to god in christ jesus let not sin christian therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions you have a choice choose to reject sin do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness. Remember, your members, the weapons that God has given you are to be employed for righteousness, not for sin any longer. All of these commands serve as a backdrop for his build out of these in the verses before us today. So we come now to verse 14. I'm calling this the domain of grace. We've been brought into the domain of grace. This is how verse 14 reads. Paul says this, for, for sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What an amazing thing to consider there. Think of this. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. This is truth. This is fact. This is the reality of your situation as a believer. Sin has lost its, its position as slave master over your life. It has been disarmed. The power has been taken from sin. You are now under grace. You have a radically new domain. You are a new creation. You live in a new position. You are declared righteous, and then you are called to live it out. Be who you are, right? That's where we began in Romans chapter 6. 
It's a new domain. You're under grace. Oh, friends, this is such good news for those who would feel the weight of performance or legalism, trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. Not anymore. We have it. We have it in full because of what Christ has finished and accomplished for us. We don't have to try to be enough. Jesus already has accomplished that. And we're in him. We're under grace. Think of the difference of living under law versus living under grace. I was just listening to a testimony this morning. Visar uh, was explaining uh, how he used to live his life with this, this merit system, the idea that you have to do in order to receive. You have to earn in order to be good enough. Oh, the freedom that comes in the Gospel when you realize there's no amount of doing that will, will qualify me to be good enough before God. We are far worse than we ever imagined. But grace is far greater than we ever dreamed. The Gospel is good news that sinners can stand today righteous in Christ. So we don't have to live our lives any longer under this performance idea that, that we have to be good enough. But we also don't have to live under this constant reminder of, I think, of Leviticus. You do all the work and the sacrifice, and the very next day you're like, oh, I blew it again. The hammer of the law crushes us under our constant failures. We fail. We lose Every day, every moment, we are not enough. And the Gospel says that's exactly right. You are not enough, but Jesus is. You are under grace in Him. You're under grace. You don't have to try to, to, to escape the hammer of the law that crushes you day after day. No more. You're free of that. You're under grace. What is it? sound like to be under think of the word under there you're under grace versus under law think think of pilgrim and the the burden that he carried as he went through his life right in pilgrim's progress now burden's gone listen to jesus describe what it looks like to be under grace come to me he says all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. There it is. Under. Okay, there's a yoke. There is a, 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 a set of commandments. My teaching. He says, take my yoke upon you. The yoke there is like, like oxen yoking up together. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find, what? Rest. Oh, how we've longed for that under the law and never found it. You can't find rest. You only find the weight of the law. But with Jesus, you find rest for your souls. And then he says this, my yoke, my commandments, my teachings, they're easy. And my burden is light. That is what it sounds like to be under grace. We look to Him in all of these things. Your accomplishment is now my accomplishment by faith. I trust you fully. I am forgiven. 
I am free. Oh, friends, what an amazing change of reality it is to come to Christ and be forgiven, to trust in Him and experience this radical change. Move from law to grace. It's a wonderful thing. We are forgiven and free, but, but Paul wants to help us now build out, but, but how are we free? What does this freedom entail? What does it look like to be free and forgiven? So, let's move on to verses 15 through 18. Defining true kingdom freedom. This is a kingdom freedom. Not like the freedom that the people thought they had at the end of the book of Judges. They just did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. The objector speaks. Paul, I'm sure he's heard this over and over, so he just chimes in and, 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 and launches this objection. He anticipates it. 20 plus years of preaching, he's heard this countless times. Well, Paul, if it's really like you just described, then are we to sin because we're not under law but, but under grace? You see how they got there. If you really understand the radical change that it, that, that it means to be in Christ, then people would say, well, if that's actually what it is, then it doesn't matter how we live, does it? We're under grace. Sin isn't that big a deal, is it? We're just under grace. And here is Paul's, I don't know exactly if it's his final, I think it is the final me gonoito. We've heard this so many times. It's the strongest way to say no. Absolutely not. Trust me, this is not what I'm saying. You've heard me correctly. It's that good news. It's that good. But it doesn't mean that how we live doesn't matter. Quite the opposite. It matters how we live now that we are saved. What we do matters. It matters not to try to earn salvation. But out of this salvation comes something powerful. An opportunity to obey. So, listen to how he builds this out. Do you not know that if you present yourselves as anyone, uh, to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. What an amazing thing he does here. He, he employs the imagery of slavery. This was something that they would have understood very much in their day. Now, I'll say a little bit more about that in, in our context. We have a different connotation of that. But he speaks about presenting yourselves as, as obedient slaves. You come as obedient slaves, either, either to sin, right? Here I am, sin. Um, how you doing today? Um, I am yours today. Let's, let's get together and die. Let, let's do that. that. Is that what a Christian does? No. A Christian comes and says, Hi, righteousness. It's me. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. I, I say no to sin. I'm dying to sin today. I'm saying yes to you today. Put me to work. I'm here to serve. I'm here to work and help. The Christian is to have only one master. And that master is no longer sin. Now, the instinct of our former life 
is to return to that old slave master. Sin. There may be that impulse. We are surrounded by that, that, that coercion. right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. They all work together against us to try to push us back to that old slave master of sin. And the Christian is daily to say, no, that's not who I am anymore. And set free from sin. I died to Him. I don't live for Him anymore. I am living for righteousness today. I have but one master. The indentured servitude of the Bible times was very different than the slavery that we think of specifically when we think of man-stealing. That's largely what we have in our echo of our, of our nation and our, uh, our history here. But slavery in the Bible times was, was very different. Indentured servitude was basically what you do when you, 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 you have no money. And in that day, if you had no money, you can't eat and you die. That's the reality. There's no you know, food stamps. There's no government programs. There's no fallback. If you were in that situation, what you would do is you would go and present yourself. You would find someone that you thought was able to provide for you upon your working for them. And you would present yourself to them and say, I would like to be your slave. I, I will work. I'm here. I only ask that you feed me. That, that you care and provide for me. I'm yours. That's what Paul has in mind here. You come to present yourself to righteousness. I'm all yours. I'm all in. I'm here to work. Let's go. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed and have been set free from sin, have become slaves. Having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, he takes it one step farther. This is an amazing thing. He's saying, not only are you no longer a slave of sin, you are a slave to obedience. You are a slave of righteousness. That's what it means to be free in Christ. So the idea that we are just set free to, to just kind of float around and do whatever we feel like, that's not Christian freedom. Christian freedom equals I am enslaved joyfully, happily to obedience. I am enslaved to righteousness I am a slave of all that is good and right and beautiful and true. That is who I am. That is what I live for. That's the light that I'm called to shine. Our past is no longer our present. Oh, friends, it's so important to remember this. The things that once defined your life now no longer define your life. You've got to real, realize this, recall this, preach this to your heart at times. Sometimes the, the echo of our sin will want to haunt us, and we have to say, no, hold on. Right? I'm turning a stiff arm to you. Once I did the Heisman Trophy to God, right? It was like that was what I was, my life was defined by this to God. Now I'm turning that stiff arm on sin, and I'm saying, you don't define me. Those things that I did, that's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation. My past is not my present. 
I'm a slave of righteousness now. I'm on a different team completely. I got a new jersey. I'm playing for the Lord. This is an amazing thing set on display. This obedience is said to have come from the heart. You know what this is? This is the work of the Spirit. This is what, this is what the Holy Spirit does in connection with the Gospel. It changes your heart. He gives you a heart to obey. Oh, so many verses speak of this. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. I'll take the heart of stone and I will remove it and I will give you a soft heart, a heart of flesh that is, that is inclined to obey and walk in my ways. I will write my law on your hearts. I love it when I hear people share their testimony and they say, listen, I, God saved me and all of a sudden I realized that the life that I was living, I no longer wanted the things that I was doing, the sins that I was committing, all of a sudden, they horrified me. And I said, no, I, I'm done with that. Where does that come from? That comes from God. That is an evidence of a radical change of heart. That's what the Spirit of God does. You can't do that, Christian. You, you can't make that happen in, in, in your children. You can't make that happen in your loved ones, your, your co-workers. Only God can change the heart. He invites us to pray. Oh, Lord, change their heart. Open their eyes. Show them your glory. Part of evangelism. But God is the one who changes the heart. This is the radical difference between religion what many people are busy with today, and radical new relationship with Christ. Religion focuses on behavior modification. It's all about looking good. It's about dressing up the facade, right? You show up to church and you throw the switch. Everything's great. Oh yeah, we're doing great. Got to look good. Got to fit in. Want to make people happy. So we paint it all up and make it look perfect. That is worthless. And we know it, don't we? We, we know that. Who are we ki kidding? Who, who are we fooling? External conformity leads you to the fires of hell. It has never saved anybody. What we need is internal transformation. This is what I'm talking about. When you wake up in the morning and you say, Oh Lord, I love you. I want to please you and obey you today. Lead me on. Let's do this. Let's do this. Help me to say no to sin. Help me to be a slave of obedience and righteousness today. Help me to be more holy and godly today than I was yesterday. Grow me. Refine me. Convict me of sin. Show me my weakness and bring your strength. Where does that come from? A new heart. A heart inclined to God. This is all connected to the standard of God's holy word. I love this. How do you know what you are to do? What you are to love? What you are to hate? How do you know what is right and pure and good and, and true? You go to the word. Right? You go to the Word. It is the standard of God's holy Word that, that calls us forward in righteousness. 
Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now, honestly, when, when, when you think about your Christian life, is that the way you tend to think? I, I'm a slave of righteousness. Do, do you wake up in the morning and say, man, I'm a Christian. I'm a slave of righteousness today. I'm enslaved to what is right and true and good and pure and holy. We often don't think of the Christian life in this way. I confess, I often, when I wake up, that's not how I tend to think. But it, that's the reality. That's what is true of you, Christian. That is the nature of our freedom. The best kind of slavery you could ever imagine. Slavery to the King of Kings. Hmm. John MacArthur, in his excellent book titled Slave, it's out here, it's recommended reading, he goes through and he traces all the times in the Scriptures that the word servant should actually be translated slave. A servant is softened. It, it's not, it doesn't have the, the, the punch that the word slave has. And a lot of times interpreters shy away from the word slave because of the baggage. Clearly, we, our culture, we've got a lot of baggage with the concept of slavery. But the Bible doesn't shy away from it. And it's right to interpret that word as slave. You are a slave. The freed in Christ have become slaves to righteousness. They are not aimless, purposeless. They have been freed from sin in order that they may give themselves wholly to worthwhile causes. Those set free do not wander in a moral vacuum. They are slaves to righteousness. So we ask, what are we to do with our lives? How are we to live? The answer is in this book. And the call is, be a slave of righteousness. Obey the Lord. Bend your knee before Him. That is the goal of, and aim of our lives. Now, the final verses here, the freedom and fruit of slavery to God. Verses 19 through 22. The freedom, think of this, the freedom of slavery to God. That's the Christian life. The freedom and fruit of slavery to God. I am speaking in human terms, Paul says, because of your natural limitations. So he acknowledges here this, this illustration, this, this language that I'm using, it's not perfect. It's, it, it breaks down, obviously, the imagery and the idea. There's more to it than that, right? Because we're not only slaves, we're sons. We're heirs. We're citizens, right? We, we, we are those who've been brought into the family of God. We've been adopted by God. So he, I think he acknowledges here, this is part of the picture. It's not the whole picture, but it certainly has to be in our view and in our thinking as we wake up in the morning. Just as you once presented your members, your weapons, as it were, the, the members of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. That is holiness. You want to see fruit in your life? Then think of yourself as a slave to all that is good and true and beautiful and right and in conformity with the character of God. And you will grow. You will grow 
every day you will grow more and more. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now this is, this is funny. I mean, this cracks me up. When you were a slave of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What, what does he mean? Well, he's saying, you didn't have any. <laughs> like, let's be clear. Before you were saved, you were unrighteous. You were not a slave of righteousness. You were free in regards to righteousness. That's not how you lived. As, as, as much as you thought that you were trying to be a good person, you were not a good person. As Romans' early chapters has answered with clarity. But what fruit were you, were you getting at the time, uh, at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Think of that, Christian. Do you want to wake up in the morning and, 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 and walk over to the pits of death and hell and, and present yourself there? You're a Christian. That's not who you are. That's crazy. Why would I walk up over here and be like, hey, I'm back. Let's hang out. It's not who you are. But now that you have been set free, listen to Paul's confidence as he writes to the Romans. He's speaking to Christians. He's, he's writing these words to believers. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Wow. Where would you rather live your day? You want to squander it on the triflings and the, and the, the fickleness of sin and death and hell? Or would you rather live your life with some value that will echo through all eternity? Give yourself to something far greater than momentary mirages that will leave you empty. Oh, friends, sanctification is satisfaction. You want to be satisfied? Don't look to sin. What do you think that's going to offer? Nothing. Fleeting pleasures. The world says this is where the party is. The Christian says, oh, no, no. I used to think that, but I have tasted and I have seen that he is good. And there is nothing more satisfying, more pleasurable then obedience to God. You become slaves of God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. New tree, justification. God did that. New fruit, sanctification. We work with Him. New end, what's the result? Eternal life. That's you, Christian. That's the new reality called to bear fruit the fruit that has by the way been ordained beforehand that we would bear the works that god has predestined for you to accomplish right here as a slave of obedience a slave of righteousness a slave of god hmm. only by bowing the knee to god can a person become what god originally intended that person to be that is righteous conforming to God's standards of behavior. That is holy, living in a way that is God-centered and world-renouncing. Now, I want to just clarify here. I want to be super, super clear. 
This is not to try to become saved. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying once God has saved you, the walk every day is to bend the knee before the Lord, to, to submit to Him and embrace His best for your life. True Christianity, MacArthur says, is not about adding Jesus to my life. Instead, it's about devoting myself completely to Him, submitting wholly to His will and seeking to please Him above all else. It demands dying to self and following the Master, no matter the cost. I think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and around the world, the persecuted church today. How would we do in their situation if the Taliban took over our city and we knew that when we gathered, we would likely die? Would we come? Would we sing? Would we praise and declare the gospel? By His grace, yes. Why? Because we're His slaves. What else would we want to do? Where else are we going to go? The world? No. The world's behind me. The cross before me. No turning back. That's what it's worth. Everything. All of you. Your days he owns. Your life he owns. Every breath you draw is his. You are his completely. To be a Christian is to be Christ's slave. He is the greatest slave master. There is no greater satisfaction you will ever experience in this world than to be the happy-hearted slave of God. I delight to do your will, David says. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. I love you. I love your commandments. Do you think that way? Is that the expression of your life this week as you wake up in the morning today? Oh man, let's do this. Lead me on. Command what you will and give me the joy and the heart to obey. Let's go. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, oh God. Is this book leading the way in your life? Is it the treasure of your life? Is this where you look to to make decisions about how you're going to live? It is popular in our day to think of God as something you add into your life as you continue to drive and do whatever you want to do. That is not what the Bible calls us. You've been called into a radically different view. Jesus take the wheel is not just a song. That is it. It's all yours. You, you own me. My life is yours. Let's go. Where are we going today? Righteousness? Obedience? Yes. Purity? Holiness? Sanctification? I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Oh, Christian, this is freedom. That's freedom and satisfaction and pleasure. 
our response this morning. True Christian freedom is happy-hearted submission to Jesus Christ. Just to sum that up. True Christian freedom is happy-hearted submission to Christ. I'm yours. I'm all yours. All my days are yours. So the question begs, where in your life do you need to joyfully bow and submit to Christ? Where may God be through His Spirit right now reaching down, even as I speak, and just opening your eyes to an area of your life that you're holding back? Where do you reach over and grab the wheel? No, Lord, no, I don't want to go over there today. Let's stay over here. It's, this is more comfortable. Where in your life do you feel that inclination to, to, to keep away from the slavery of obedience and righteousness? Where are you holding back? And where today can you joyfully say, I surrender all. I bow before you, my Master and King. God can land 10,000 different ways in your heart even now. Just listen to His voice. Listen to what the Spirit opens your eyes to and obey. Surrender. Repent. Turn. It may sound something like this. King Jesus, I am Yours. I bow to Your will. I embrace Your commandments. I want to be more and more like You. Thank You for saving me. I am Your happy slave. Not my will, but yours be done. Lead on, my King. Let's pray. O King of all kings, ruler of the highest realms, we delight to bow before you today. We acknowledge your lordship over all things, your right to rule is absolute. And here we are, trophies of Your grace that You have triumphed over. You have ransomed us with Your blood, King Jesus. We are Yours, totally Yours. We owe You everything. We delight to do Your will. We embrace Your gift of grace. We thank You for salvation. We, we, we pray, Lord, that we would be happy-hearted slaves this week as we walk with You. Oh Lord, give us the courage to bend our knee where we've held back. Call us to repentance. Lead us to freedom. The freedom of submission. We have tasted and we have seen that You are good. And there is no greater joy, no greater satisfaction or pleasure in this life or the next than full embrace of You. Oh Lord, be our King this week. May we stand out as those who are so free and submitted that the world doesn't understand. Use us to shine bright in a world that is so lost in the delusion of freedom in the form of slavery to sin. Help us to shine bright in the dark. And Lord, use us to, to ransom and, and point the way to other uh, slaves that, to be free. Help us to be those that, that call the Gospel out and, and point to Jesus Christ. 
Use us to that end, we pray, for your glory and for our joy in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.